Welcome to the Mixed Movement, where we speak candidly about the uncommon commonalities that people of mixed race face in our world today. Here, we listen, share, learn, and acknowledge that through our stories, we are all connected. We are your hosts, me, Chris, and Rachel Go. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Tanya, who is somebody that I've gotten to know through actually a friend of a friend locally here where I live. I haven't seen this person in a long time, and I ran into them at, if you guys follow my Instagram page, Polish Velvet, you'll know that I absolutely love my local farmer's market. And I reconnected with some friends this summer, and Tanya's mother-in-law was so excited to hear about the podcast and all of the work that I'm doing and couldn't stop recommending that I connect with Tanya. And I'm so very happy that I have. She is here today with us to share a little bit about her story. So welcome, Tanya. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I, I feel like I am totally geeking out every time I think about interviewing you and having an opportunity to hear your story a little bit more. Um, so would, let's start with a little bit of your background. Sure. So I'm originally from a small, small town in Western Washington, where I was raised by my single mother. Um, I, I want to say our town was like 3,400 people, like one stoplight small. So it was, it was, it was very tiny and it was a, it was a four-way stop, a blinking red light until I was probably, I don't know, like a freshman in high school. So it's, so raised by my mom. So I'm native American, Hawaiian, and my mom's Caucasian. So I am one of the few, you know, people of color in this town. I think we had no African-Americans growing up in my high school, not, not one. So I'm not like exaggerating when I say that. So it it was um, interesting growing up, you know, as a person of color in a small town. Everyone knows you. Everyone knows your business. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> you know, typically has something to say. But, you know, I, I have since moved away from this town. I'm married. I have two kids. I work in human resources, which is always entertaining. But <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Never a dull moment. No. <laughs> so... During your upbringing, do you have any siblings? So my father, who is Native American Hawaiian, remarried when I was small. I was really little when he remarried. And he had three. So I have a half-brother and two half-sisters. And then there was a period in between when he was remarried and my mom and him still being together where he fathered another child. So I have another half-brother as well. Okay. So... I didn't grow up with them in the home. I was raised basically as an only child, but I, I do have siblings. Okay. Did they grow up in the same community that you grew up in? No. So my father and then his, his wife and my um, siblings, they all grew up on the reservation. So okay. very different, um, I would say, way of life and upbringing than I had where I was. Yeah. Much smaller, if that's possible. <laughs> um. So growing up, you were really the only person of color in your community then. Well, there were a few others. We had some um, Latinos in our community. We had 
a few. Um, I remember a couple of Asian kids. I remember there were a few other Native Americans as well. So there was there were some of us, but <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> Would you say that you felt like you fit in growing up pretty well? Or were there any interesting moments for you where you felt like you weren't really sure how to navigate a situation when it comes to your your background and your heritage? You know, looking back, I would say for the most part, I felt like I fit in. I would say one of the bigger struggles was all of my friends had parents who were married. So they had a mom and a dad. So that part was really hard for me because my father basically wasn't in the picture at that point. But then again, there were also times when we would be having, you know, class discussions and, you know, talking about Native Americans and people would say, oh, well, they're on the reservation with broken down cars in their yards and they're a bunch of drunk Indians. And then they would look at me and say, well, we don't think of you like that, Tanya. Obviously you did because I was the first person that you associated that with. So So, there were were definitely some moments of, you know, being uncomfortable and not really knowing how to work through that because, you know, my mom who is, who is white didn't experience that. So she couldn't necessarily relate to it. And I also didn't necessarily have the tools to be able to communicate how I was feeling, you know, as like a 15, 16 year old. Right. Did you try? Were there moments that you did approach your mom about these situations? Honestly, no. I I don't remember ever having that conversation with her. I don't really feel like I even started really thinking about that until I was, you know, grown, until I was adult and kind of starting reflecting back on, you know, being Native American Mm -hmm. and now having Native American children and, you know, wanting to do better, I would say. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I personally can relate. I, I was in similar situations growing up and I never really, I never talked to my mom about it. And I don't really know exactly why, but it kind of felt a little bit isolating sometimes too. And again, for me right now with my children, I want to do better for them and make them feel safe and comfortable right. having those conversations if they, right. if they happen. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I will say um, that is one thing that my children's school district does a really great job of. They have um, a Native American program in the school. So they do. do. So they um, and they start from the time I think they're in kindergarten. So there's a a teacher who comes and takes them out of class and they talk about the different tribes and their culture and they have art projects. My daughter um, moved into middle school this past year and they had a promotion ceremony where she was honored as, you know, promoting up from elementary to middle school. So there it's a really, really wonderful program. Wow, that's amazing. Was that, did you have anything like that offered to you growing up? No, that wasn't an option. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how far away are you from where you grew up right now? So, I mean, it's, it's not too far. It's probably, I would say about 75 miles or so away from, it's just with, with Washington, I mean, you know this, <laughs> There's, it's such a big difference, you know, between 75 to 100 miles can oh, make. Yes. I yes. mean, we can get from, you know, Bellingham to Seattle all the way down to like Olympia. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's, that's incredible. So going back and sharing a little bit more about your upbringing, you were raised by your mother who's white, Caucasian. 
were you allowed to get in touch with your Native American side? Did you have a relationship with your your father's side of the family? You know, I did. I didn't necessarily have a relationship with my father. That part was, you know, very difficult. But his parents, my grandparents were amazing. They were wonderful people. They would, you know, stop and drop off smoked salmon and stop to say hi. They would take me to the the Puyallup Fair every summer. And then my aunt, so my, my dad's sister, was also a big part of my life. So I was really close to my cousins growing up. So and my other aunt, who is other sister. So while I may not have had a, a strong relationship with him, I definitely was in touch with the other side of the family. Like my grandparents took me to, you know, powwows and Puyallup and down in Warm Springs. So I was definitely, you know, exposed to to aspects of the culture, which is amazing. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that because oftentimes that's not really everyone's story. So mm-hmm. do you feel like that connection really impacted you and helped you remain connected to your Native American roots? Absolutely. I will say um, I don't feel as connected as I would like to be. I feel like I could have done a lot more, especially, you know, now being an adult. But I'm glad that I have those experiences. And like going to your first powwow or hearing like my grandma would sing and her voice was so incredible. I would, I could recognize her voice out of like blindfolded out of 10 people. (laughs) So, you know, being able to have those memories and to, to share that with my kids is awesome. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That just makes me so very happy to hear. You mentioned as an adult, you don't feel like you are as connected. Do you, (laughs) do you care to share a little bit more? Why? I am enrolled in my tribe. My girls are not enrolled in the tribe. And a lot of that is because it would have, at one point, I would have had to have had my father sign off on it and he never met them. And I really don't want him to. So that was part of it. But I also, I don't get back to the reservation very often. I don't go back for general counsel. I haven't been to a powwow probably in... 16 years. <laughs> it's been a yeah. while. So I, I definitely feel a little disconnected from from my culture and from my roots, I would say. May I share something? Yes, of course. Give yourself some grace. <laughs> this it's it's life. You are married, you are a mom, but y- you also have two daughters that are fairly active and very proud to share that they are Native American as well. And that was one thing that your mother-in-law had shared with me initially. She's like, you have to get in touch with Tanya. Look at my (laughs) granddaughters and what they're doing. Do you mind sharing about what they did at such a young age? Because that is amazing. These two have this, this confidence that I don't know that I I don't even know that I have it today. <laughs> so they were asked to be a part of, so the school district, this wonderful school district that we're a part of, does a land acknowledgement every year for the start of the school year because we're on Puyallup land. So they asked, it was three students to, to come up in front of every teacher, every paraeducator in the entire district. It's about probably 1,200 people. Oh, my word. they took this microphone and went down and introduced themselves. They said, you know, what tribe they're from, and they read a section of a poem. 
And to be able to do that, my youngest, she's, she's eight, my oldest is 11. And she's always been fierce and confident (laughs) for those two to get down there and just, just be able to embrace that and be proud of it. And, you know, not stutter to just be so confident. It was, it was definitely a proud parenting moment. Oh, absolutely. That is so impressive. Oh my goodness. And now, when they approached you with this, what were your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. I was so excited. I was I was so happy. So the principal of the school is the one who had thought of our children. And I was just like, that's amazing. Let me talk to them. I want them to be able to make the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a copy of the poem that they would read. And it was it was a very large poem. I mean, it. I think they each probably read about nine lines or so at least. Oh, wow. And I, I made sure that they had a chance to read it, review it, ask if you know, they're comfortable, that's something they want to do. And both of them were just like, yes, I want to. Let's do it. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. I feel like although you might feel disconnected, the amount of encouragement, not only from their school district, but from you also don't, I, I just encourage you not to disregard that as part of a connection. Have you, or are you planning on taking your daughters to your tribe? So my youngest has been there with me. My um, okay. oldest has not. I think at some point I will. I do want them to be enrolled in the tribe. And for that, they would have to go there. It's done in person. I think it's voted on in the general council meeting as well. So I would want them to be there for that. So I think it is something that I need to do. Um, I just, I haven't yet. And that's, that's okay. Be patient. Life is crazy busy as a mama. I understand. Oh my goodness. Like sports and practice four nights a week, games on weekends. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And and again, thank you for taking the time (laughs) to speak with me. Are you struggling to understand the complexities of your mixed race identity? Do you feel isolated by the lack of resources available to help you and others around you understand the nuances of being mixed race? Now is the time to take action and schedule your free consultation for my individual coaching course. In our time together, you will gain a deeper understanding of your unique mixed race identity and how to navigate the challenges you face. Here are just a few examples of what I have helped individuals just like you gain from my course. You will learn how to embrace and love every aspect of what makes you unique. You'll learn how to navigate complex social situations with confidence. And I have even helped many of my clients move out of areas where they didn't feel safe because they are mixed race. Don't wait any longer to gain the confidence and understanding that you need to live a more fulfilling life. Message me on Instagram at polished.velvet, on Facebook at Mixed Movement, or feel free to email me directly at coachrachelgo at gmail.com. And that's C-O-A-C-H-R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-O at gmail.com. Let's make magic happen in your life. And share your story. And... On that note, I do want to talk a little bit more about 
maybe your upbringing growing up and high school experience. And if there was any moment that you had growing up that really kind of impacted you and brought you closer to that part of your heritage. Mm -hmm. So growing up, you know, I always felt safe. I always had friends. I always felt like, you know, I belonged. One thing that really does kind of stick out for me. So my grandma, amazing, fierce, short little woman that she was, she had the biggest <laughs> voice ever. She, she would call me her little hoquat, which means like white person in our language. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, but I mean, she meant it as a term of endearment, yes. but I definitely always felt like I was too white for my native side and that I was like too brown for my white side. Like I didn't, you know, necessarily feel like I was, you know, like everyone else. I mean, I had, I had plenty of friends. I was active. I was involved. I was in student leadership. I did all those things, but I I definitely felt like I kind of stuck out no matter where I went and it wasn't something I wanted. (laughs) How did you navigate that? Or do you, reflecting back, do you feel like there, that had kind of pivoted or pushed you to behave a certain way or do certain things? No, I don't think that really did. Um, I mean, if I had to describe like how I navigated it, I was just, you kind of just dealt with it or accepted it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I never went out of my way to address it or talk about it. Again, I didn't really have those communication tools when I was that age. I know going back, there's a neighboring town that's also really small. And I went back with my now husband And we went to this restaurant for breakfast and I was literally the only person of color in the entire restaurant. And he was like, why are people staring at you? I'm like, welcome to growing up in a white town. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Do you feel like that encouraged you to get out of your small town? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is one thing. I mean, when I went to college and I looked around and I saw all these people of color, (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) I knew there was a place like this. (laughs) Right. Well, and, you know, growing up, I didn't go to the city very often. That's just not something you did. I mean, I mean, now people, even my family is like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how you drive in Seattle. It's so big. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, my upbringing, I was raised outside of Chicago in the Chicago suburbs. And I won't say, I can't say that there were very many mixed race people in my community, but I didn't, I didn't really feel that growing up that I was stared at or, you know, I I know this, this something that happened in your adult life, but I, I don't blame you at all for, for wanting to get out and, and good for you for broadening your horizons, too. Um, do you still have family that lives in the town that you grew up in? I don't. My grandma on my mom's side is now in a nursing home, so she's not there in the town anymore. I have plenty of friends who are still there. My best friend is still there. So I, I still go back not often, but yeah. I do yeah. go back. But no, I mean, I don't I don't have family there. My parents have moved, so they're a little closer to us now too. And then I still have family on the reservation, but like I said, I don't really go back there. Yeah. Do your half siblings on your dad's side, do you have a relationship 
with any of them or have you connected with them? I will say those relationships are very complicated. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Only because they don't necessarily understand why I have the feelings I have towards our father because that's not how they perceive him. He was he was wonderful and amazing and present for them, which is phenomenal. Like I'm I'm glad that they had that, but that's not how it was for me. So we are okay, I will say. There's been some resentment. There's been some arguments. There's been periods of times where we haven't spoken in years. So I will say we're a work in progress. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's really personal. I appreciate that. I know that family dynamics, especially with blended families, can be pretty complicated. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about your emotions towards being mixed race in particular? Do you feel like you've ever been put in a position where you've had to choose or somebody has asked you how you identify? Yeah. I mean, emotions regarding being mixed race. I would say I'm always proud of my my culture and my background. I do remember specifically applying for college and they want you to check a box. <laughs> and yep. <laughs> you know, when when you are Native American, when you are Caucasian, also being a female, I marked that I was white. And you it was did? I did. And I did because I wanted to be accepted on my merits, not because I was Native American. Tanya, thank you for sharing that. That's I'm sorry to be so surprised, but Thank you for that perspective. Like if you were to go back and do that again, would you make the same decision? You know, if I were to go back and do it again, I don't think I wouldn't make the same decision. I think I would say that I'm, I'm Native American. Obviously, if they let you pick more than one, I'll say that I'm yeah. you know, Native Here American my, white. the problem. <laughs> I know. You, you must choose one. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're all so so much more diverse and complicated than that at this point. Um, yeah. No, I think I probably would go back and say that I'm Native American just yeah. with you know, the perspective of being 40 plus versus 16 and 17. Right, right. Know, life kind of changes your your way of thinking. Um, yeah, so yeah I, absolutely. I change it. Was there ever a moment when you were in college where you did wish you would cha- have changed that and maybe be, be have the ability to be more or recognized as Native American? Um, no, I think honestly, college was a good experience for me. I was just such a lost soul with so many mm-hmm. unresolved issues at that point in my life mm-hmm. that I didn't really reflect on it at that mm-hmm. point. I had no idea who I was at that point in, yeah. in, in life and being you know, having grown up with a single mom and not had a father present. And there was just a lot of issues to to work through and resolve. Do you feel like college helped you work through those? No. Kind of- <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> college didn't help me. So I will say I didn't graduate from college. At that point, college was at a point where my mom and my stepdad, he's, he's my dad. He's been in my life since I was like 16 or 17. He's mm-hmm. incredible. My children call him Papa. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had already remarried. So I had to use their income when I was applying for student loans. They made too much to to qualify yeah. for financial aid and not enough to pay for school. So it was on me. So I, I didn't graduate from college. I left and I went and worked on a cruise ship. And I did that on and off for about three and a half years. And during those three and a half years, 
I would say is when I learned who I was and when I grew up and um, started to, to finally, I would say, kind of love myself, if that makes sense. What do you feel was the biggest element of that, of you learning how to love yourself and embrace who you are? Oh, this is going to sound so cheesy, but being on this cruise ship, I was around so much nature and I got to experience the, um, like Alaskan, you know, Native American water. Oh, uh-huh. So I got yeah. to see like a totem pole raising and see bears in the wild and them in rivers catching salmon. And I saw whales and killer whales. And it just brought me so much peace, I would say, that it kind of shut down the like angry, confused voices in my head and put me on a path where I wanted to be better. So during that time, I would say it just, it really made me grow up. I think that's beautiful, Tanya. Thank you. Oh, I'm still that person. I cry when I see a whale. It makes me so happy. Oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I think that as far as your culture, that probably kind of helped bring you even closer to your your roots, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Just being able to have those experiences and talk to so many different people. And I was also working with people from all over the country who had, you know, different experiences. And um just to have different perspectives and to experience it without my mom, to experience it without, you know, any outside influences that are known to me and to just do it on my own independently, it it was really, really good for me. It was very therapeutic, I would say. I'm so happy for you. That is, that's huge. And I hope that our listeners are able to take away a little bit of Tanya's story too, because truthfully, sometimes we do get so sucked into the dynamics of our family or our friends group or whatever our community is that sometimes getting away and completely being independent can teach you more than you would ever anticipate. I've moved twice, two major moves in my life and both times were really, really isolating really hard. But those were the moments where I learned so much about myself. <laughs> more Absolutely. than more than therapy could, more than, you know, anything, more than my family could help me realize. But I, I think that's amazing that so you the cruise ship that you worked on was as an Alaskan cruise. Yeah. So we did um it was Southeast Alaska. We also did the Columbia River. So um, it was really small. It was less than 100 people. And then also Baja, Mexico. So I was a 21, 22 year old out there traveling on my own, (laughs) figuring things out. It was, I, I definitely, like I said, I grew up a lot during that time period. I made some incredible friends during that time period. People I still keep in touch with, you know, 20 years later and just, um, yeah, I was ex- able to experience so many things just with fresh, kinder eyes, I would say. I was much kinder to myself during that time in my life. Good. Good for you. So leaving that part of your life, what then did you do next? 
So following the cruise ship is when I decided I was ready to move out of my small town for good because I kind of come back there in between a little bit and I moved to Seattle. So I went, you know, big city. I had at one point my own apartment for a year, which was amazing. Wow. And yeah, I, (laughs) I ended up working in a couple of different offices, but then I went back to that same cruise company and I got into HR. Around that time period is when I met my husband and still in HR, different company now. I was there 10 years. Now I work for a different company, but you know, my husband and I are, are still together. We have two kids. We you know, have a, a wonderful home. Life is insane, but I wouldn't trade yeah. it for anything. <laughs> Do you mind sharing? Are there any Native American traditions that you bring into your home, either during holidays or daily life, that you incorporate into your life with your children and with your family? Not necessarily traditions per se, but we do reflect a lot on just relatives and terminology. And um, we talk about my auntie and my cousins. We talk about my grandma. She um, was a basket weaver and she oh, wow. made these incredible baskets. I mean, so detailed that you could tell that it was a canoe and there were people, there were four people on the canoe so tight they could hold water. I mean, there were whales woven into it. So we talk a lot about my grandma and those traditions. This is, I would say probably one of my life's biggest regrets. I don't have a ton, but she, she wanted to teach me when I was little how to make baskets and I didn't want to learn. And she's, she's since passed away. So that I would say is probably, you know, something that I, I kick myself to this day for. But we definitely talk a lot about family and growing up out on the coast is so different than the way, you know, my children are. And, yeah. you know, I was allowed at like five years old to just run around free by myself. <laughs> that's, right. That's not happening now. So. No, not, not quite the same. No. So this conversation has been fairly focused around your Native American side. Is there anything from your mother's side that has influenced you and your family and traditions? We definitely have a lot of traditions that we continue every year. But I don't necessarily think it's tied to our, you know, culture and our background. So I was I was thinking about our DNA and we're English, which is interesting. I, I didn't realize that. And then also Swedish as well and Finnish. Oh, wow. So we've done like our we've I've done my DNA testing and t- my husband's a history major. So he's super into, you know, uh-huh. tracing back our family tree. So it was interesting to look and see who it was that came through Ellis Island and, oh, wow. um, you know, trace it back to there. My grandma gave me a cup that I think it was my great, great, great grandfather that he had got when he was on Ellis Island. So I have that. Yeah. So, you know, there are definitely things that we that we talk about, but I don't necessarily know traditions, you know, tied to mm-hmm. the Swedish or Finnish side at all. So there wasn't anything necessarily significant or definitive of those cultures that you were exposed to growing up necessarily? No, not really. Or maybe they were and I just didn't realize it because yeah. it was unspoken. So I don't know if there's, you know, foods that we eat that are tied to, you know, that yeah. side of things or not. It's possible. There are yeah. definitely <laughs> foods that we have, you know, every holiday. Yes. <laughs> this is what you do. But yes. <laughs> I don't necessarily know that it's tied to, you know, Sweden or Finland or. Yeah. 
That's amazing. So your your daughters, do you mind sharing a little bit more about, have you noticed or picked up on anything in particular that they feel drawn to in particular with your Native American ancestry? I will say they ask a lot of questions. They want to know what it was like for me growing up. They're very they're very good kids. They're very sweet kids for the most part. Um, <laughs> we all have our so, moments. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Um, so yeah, they they definitely they ask questions. They want to know. They ask a lot about my grandma and her baskets. Um, fishing is still a big part of the tribe and the um, economy there. So they ask questions about that. If I've ever done that, if I've ever gone clam digging, which I have, and I hated every second of it. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, you know, those are the things that they that they really want to ask about. They talk about, you know, songs and dance. And, and that's one thing I don't know the language. I know certain words mm-hmm. in the language, but I know that it's being spoken more than it has in the past, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. If they were interested in one particular learning something, what, like, have you thought about that? If they wanted to learn how to basket weave? Um, Oh, gosh, I don't even I'm sure I could find someone who could teach them how to mm-hmm. basket weave. There's certainly elders in the tribe that still do it. But they did. So again, I'll go back to our school and our district in the program. They offered a Native American dance program. No and way. It was weekly for I want to say it was six or eight weeks. So my youngest was still really little at that point. Mm-hmm. But I took my oldest and we went every single week and she learned about fancy dancing and grass dancing Aww. and jiggle dancing. And, you know, there's 300 65 bells on the <laughs> on the um, regalia. It's not a costume, it's regalia. regalia. So yeah, so she was super into that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel during that experience? Oh, it was great. It was so great. And the the teachers were amazing and you learned how you introduce yourself at a powwow. You say your name, your parents' names, your tribe, all of those things. So it was it was good to learn those traditions and to know mm-hmm. more about it. But it it's one of those things, like as I was dancing with her, that's where you know it's in your blood. Like it came so naturally to me and so easy for me that I, I just thought it was it was wonderful to have that that bond with her. That's beautiful. That just gave me goosebumps because those are the moments when that really just connect you and you might not be able to articulate it or understand it when it's happening. But like you said, you just, you knew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And she, and this was, I don't even know how many years ago it was at this point. It was probably, I love that everything is pre-COVID or post-COVID. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was definitely pre-COVID. So, um, and she had to have been probably in first grade. So it's Mm -hmm. been a minute, but we still talk about it. Yeah. So impactful for her as well. That's amazing. Is there anything in particular, Tanya, that you would like to talk about? Like a moment that has been brought up for you or a story? I do. And I don't know. You tell me if it's, it was kind of like a perspective for my husband to, to feel for a second. (laughs) So there was a time we were in Hawaii and we were, it was right before our wedding and we had gone to a store to get the, the maid of honor and best man gifts. And typically when my husband and I go shopping and we get separated, he just turns around and looks for the short brown girl. 
So we're in Hawaii. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, I see where this is going. Yep. So we're in Hawaii and he turns around and we're everywhere. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he couldn't find me. He was like, Tanya, I was the only white person in there. I'm like, welcome to my world, sir. Welcome to my world. The tables have turned. <laughs> right. But it's funny though. So he's actually, he's Latino. He's, I think, a quarter Latino. I, okay. I think Spain, Spanish, but he is. He is all kinds of white. He's got like light brown hair and blue eyes and you would never be able to tell by looking at him. Right. Right. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I mean, that that is, I mean, being, being in a relationship with um, somebody who is white, my ex-husband is white. And I definitely felt that same thing. And he and I have lived in Hawaii for a long time. And I definitely blended in uh-huh. as a local. And I'm like, you uh-huh. are the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. This is yeah. kind of funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he told me, like, as we were leaving the store, he was laughing. And I was like, what is so funny? And I was like, oh, that's great. That is fantastic. <laughs> that's amazing. So has he fully embraced or has he been interested in in part of your your culture or what it's like to be mixed? Yes. He, he's definitely asked questions about what it's like to be mixed because I've expressed kind of, you know, my feelings to him about growing up and not necessarily feeling like I belonged on either side and, you know, raising our girls because he never wants our girls to, to feel that way. So we've talked a lot about it. I would say it's hard for him because he had such strong feelings towards my father that he just didn't understand, you know, how he, he could not be a, a part of my life. So he never really forgave him for that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I can, I can understand how you are able to form such strong emotions towards a family member, but the fact that he is still in support and encouraging your daughters to, to learn about their heritage is, is huge. Oh yeah. He, he was their biggest supporter, um, you know, in getting them and encouraging them to, to go in front of the entire school and, and talk about, you know, their, their tribe and their name and read a poem. He was very, very excited. That's amazing. I'm so happy to know that you have created such a beautiful, loving and supportive family an environment and encouraging your daughters to get in touch with that part of themselves is, is also, it's so impactful and so important. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm glad that they're able to, to do that. And yeah. you know, my mom, I don't know that she necessarily didn't encourage me, mm-hmm. but I don't remember a lot of encouragement being there. I don't right. remember, you know, you she should didn't learn deny about it. Talk- yeah. Right. Yeah. She didn't like prohibit it from me, but right. she never, you know, kind of nudged me. Yeah. So I have one question for you before we wrap things up today. If there is one legacy that you would like to leave behind for the world, what would it be? Oh my goodness. That <laughs> is like a <laughs> that is a, a big deep it's a, question. It's a, it's a bomb. It um, is. Take your time. If there were one legacy I would like to leave to the world, this is gonna be really complicated and I Working through, especially a time in our world in the U.S. with things being so divided politically, I want my children and today's youth to do better. I want them to learn from history and to not repeat history. So if there were a legacy I could leave, it would be 
basically educating our youth and encouraging them to be kinder than anyone has been in previous generations. I think kindness is really underrated and undervalued right now. And I would like to to be known for, for being kind and for helping where I can. Yes, that's beautiful. And I could not agree more. We all do need a lot more kindness. We need to give it and receive it. And the world will be a much, much better place. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that, Tanya. And thank you for, for your time and sharing everything that you have. It's been an honor to get to know you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We want to be here for you and we can't do what we're doing without your support. Please hit subscribe and to stay up to date, head on over to mixmovement.com. That's M-I-X-D-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com to stay up to date with news and more. We are the Mixed Movement. See you next time.